0: Did you miss me? Because I'm back.
1: Ira, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Jason, welcome back. Thank you, thank
0: you. It's it's good to be here. I know that everyone had a sigh of relief last week when uh, I wasn't able to make it. But guess what? Like an ex girlfriend, I'm back. I'm, <laughs>
1: I'm the DMs, but, trying to get you guys back. Well, you know, I I, I two timed with you. You introduced me to Elliot, and you know now I'm you know now I'm with that's, Elliot sometimes. That's the loyalty I get around here. <laughs> I see how it is. There you go. So uh, you know, the last couple of shows, at, toward the end of the show. I noted that I asked for some scarves for my birthday, uh, you know, courtesy of Roughneck Scarves, and I have a funny feeling that this package that I just got uh, in the mail the other day—it's from Tormenta FC in Statesboro, Georgia. I'm going to see what's in it, and let's uh, let's start wow. pulling some stuff out. So, firstly, in fact, it is a scarf. Hmm. It is a Tormenta FC scarf. I'm going to wear this proudly tonight. Very nice. Thank you so much to the good folks at Tormenta for me. Thanks, I uh, appreciate the birthday wishes. And here we go. We got Tormenta FC. The pros are here. It's a catalog with information about the uh, about the club and about how its founding and bios of all the players. Very nice. I'm going to share this with my uh, with my kids as well when we watch the matches uh, this coming weekend.
0: Mm, it's, it's good to see. Happy birthday, Ira. I'm glad you uh, are, are selling yourself the right way. You know, as a as a neutral journalist, you know I, I tend to show all teams love and I cannot be bought with material <laughs> items.
1: Well, unlike you, I can. Okay, uh, let's go to the news. There's lots of news this week. Let's start finally with a very quick recap of the uh, U20 World Cup. The U.S. U20s lost to Ecuador two to one. Keep in mind that the Ecuador were the South American champions. They made it very far. They continue to, to play very well. We only had one USL League One player who got any time in this, the, the, and that was Abubak Arcada from the on um, Richmond Kickers on loan from the Columbus Crew. He didn't play. Great. I mean, defensively, he was fine. I think defensively, you know, neither of the goals was his fault. He had some very nice defensive challenges, but he made some bad passes, Jason. And you yeah. know, that's that's not going to cut it on the national team under burhalter for sure.
0: And that that seems to be the the kill healed with him, right? he's just he especially when he's in pressured situations. We saw the bad back pop pass earlier this year in the league. And I think that takes experience and time. Unfortunately, though, when you're playing for the national team and you're in these positions and you're in the camp you don't have that much time, right? Like any any moment you're playing on the big stages, you have to impress. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Like, like you said, though, he played well defensively. So it is something that I feel like he'll get better with with more experience. Um, but it's going to have to be at a faster rate because it's something that, you know, sticks out and you can't have that. And especially when you're already playing in U-20s, you might not get a chance to move on and play for the Olympic team or, you know, even the Gold Cup team or whatever preliminary roster in the future.
1: The other player who could have played uh, from USL League One was North Texas's, and and tonight at least, uh, FC Dallas's Brandon Cervana. Uh, he had played most of the other matches, either off the bench or as a starter in kind of the number six defensive midfield role. And quite frankly, given how the game was played and given how it went, I feel like maybe he could have started, or at least should have come in as a second-half substitute, and might have been able to uh, to hurt Ecuador some. And uh, you, you know, did, do you have any uh, any thoughts on on Servania and maybe why he wasn't in the on the pitch that, that night?
0: Yeah, I, I understand. So I I don't know about him starting, but I would have liked to see him as a sub um, coming in late and just trying to make something happen. Um, I understand with Soto and, you know, you had the guys with the hot hand going into it. So you keep that going. But when, you know, there's chances and the U.S. was in this game, right? It wasn't like Ecuador just from the get-go went in there. They had a their first goal was a Golazo, right? And so, but the U.S. responded and they were in it, but it was just one of those things to where you needed a spark. And I think that's where he would have been um, at his best if you could just come off the bench and make something happen.
1: Yeah, it could have been that midfield destroyer. Okay, moving on to other news. So this was something you picked up on in the, the Twitter sphere, I believe, Jason. So yep. uh, why don't you talk a little bit about this rumor that there's might be some NPSL teams coming to USL2 with aspirations to join USL League One?
0: Hell yeah, brother, NPSL, or whatever y'all be saying. Um, so John M-T- MLTX uh, on Twitter, he has a lot of great content on lower league soccer, Um, had a rumor about MPSL teams switching to USL 2 in 2020 and then going from League 2 with the hopes of going pro in League 1 in 2021. And so what he's saying is so far he's hearing it's 8 and it might reach as far as 12. And he's going to assume, he's rumored that these announcements are going to start trickling in in August. So this is big because we've already got rumors of you know the championship side we're not even rumors right we know championship sides are going to come down and so now if they're you know in two three years they're planning on having mpsl teams come up to league one from
1: league two this looks like it's going to be a big league have they were there any rumors of what teams might be interested in um, potentially moving like like who are these eight to twelve teams do we know
0: yeah no there I didn't see of any rumors I did want to ask you know are there specific teams that you like I do I would love to see for instance um, Baltimore or Fort Worth come down because those are just big markets like especially when you look at like television markets like baltimore is always up there norfolk virginia is always up there so having them come down and having a pro team i think would be great for the league um i'm gonna assume chattanooga and detroit would not do it i think that they'd probably rather jump the nisa before uh succumbing to usl's uh, (laughs) uh rules and sanction but um yeah. So there's, there's really just rumors right now. There's no specific teams, but yeah, let us know what teams you think you would like to see make that jump. And it's interesting to see, you know, that they are deciding to do the lead two, league one approach as opposed to going to NPSL pro.
1: Yeah, I agree. It, it'll be interesting to see if any of them do, and and if so, which ones. Uh, just given that you know, there's a lot of the teams that seem to be clustered in certain areas that already have a lot of soccer, or are in prox- reasonably close proximity of either an MLS team or a USL Championship or League One team. So yeah, you know, like some of the some of the perpetual. Uh, good teams in NPSL, like FC Motown is in Morristown, New Jersey. So, you know, that's, you know, definitively Red Bulls, NYCFC territory. And, you know, others are like Philadelphia Lone Star. I actually, someone in my current coaching class plays for Philadelphia Lone Star and, you know, are, you know, they want to go to, you know, NPSL Pro, but the union's there and the union's playing well. And it's hard to imagine having uh, some of those Teams uh, join USLA. So so it has to be some teams maybe that are well outside of the uh um, kind of the footprint of existing uh franchises.
0: I I think FC Buffalo would be a great one, uh especially with the proximity to Toronto. Uh having and and Lansing. Lansing's not that far either. Yep, so having more teams up in that way, and then uh I think uh Duluth might be a fun one too if they wanted to try to make that jump. They've got a great organization. Uh, that's another one to where they can have a nice robbery with Ford um, and be in that area and kind of spread that proximity and spread the soccer in that area. So I think they're another one to look at. That would be cool to see that jump.
1: All right, and moving on, uh, you you know, you put in here talking about Ricardo Pepe in the U.S. Open Cup, but Brandon Sivagna is there too. So uh, you had two starters tonight in the U.S. Open Cup uh, for FC Dallas. They're playing as we speak, so we won't have uh, any kind of recap right now of that. But uh, but both Brandon Savanya starting as a number six and Ricardo Pepe on the team sheet that I saw, it said that he was playing as a number ten. Although I find that hard to believe, he was playing up top. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say he he had to be, but um, uh, you know that that's great that those guys got called into the first team. It wasn't great necessarily for uh, North Texas today when they played in their league game, and we'll talk about that a little later. Um, but you know, good stuff for these guys. I mean, this is the point of USL League One having these two teams for um for, for the senior franchises, right?
0: Yeah, and this is like, and you can, this is a way for. These players to get into that MLS experience to see how they match up. See how they earn your USL championship experience, see how they match up and the physicality. And I think moving forward, there's a good opportunity for those players to get that kind of MLS USL championship, you know, competition to see where they match up, right? Like Pepe can dominate this league all he wants, but then maybe if he's dealing with more physical center backs or more athletic center backs. It's tougher for him to make those runs and get behind them. But um, I think a lot of FC Dallas fans are super excited uh, to see that not only is he on the team, but starting for them in the cup. And with the 2-0 lead, if they move on, I'll be curious to see if he makes the bench or starts, you know, when they do play MLS side. And I think that's when you're going to get a lot of attention from the U.S. national team fans and MLS teams and, uh, I think that's when it's going to be Pepe's time to shine. Yeah.
1: More mentions on the Scuffed Podcast for sure for him. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so one of the things that we have to remember, and I just want to remind our listeners that that one of the reasons why the two teams, and even teams that are you know are two teams, even if they don't play in the same geography, like an FC Tucson, for example, um, they don't play in the U.S. Open Cup because their rosters are not uh, owned by them. The rosters are owned by the senior team. So it's because of moves like this where Pepe now will be um, will actually be what they. Call Cup tied to FC Dallas. So even if Pepe this year went to another team that's still in the US Open Cup like um, you know, if NYCFC go through and he wound up there, even on loan, he wouldn't be allowed to play in cup matches because he's now cup tied to, uh, to FC Dallas. Uh, so Guam uh, is advancing through world cup qualifying, um, with, uh, with one of their players plays in USL league one. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Oh, Jason, I was not able to see any of these games. Uh,
0: so, uh, Greenville keeper, Dallas J, um, they help uh, helped Guam move on. They won five Oh. Uh, their last game. And in the first game, they lost, I believe, 1-0. But uh, if you go on my Twitter, I had a couple of clips up, and Dallas J was just making some incredible saves and kept them in that game. Um, And, yeah, it's exciting, right, to see USL League One players in these qualifiers um, you know, being big parts of their teams too, right? It's not just a bench player. It's not just somebody that's subbing in. This is somebody who is critical for their team's success. And, uh, you know, shout-out to Dallas J doing it.
1: And that's not the only international uh, activity going on. We have the Gold Cup is about to kick off here in the United States, and the, those rosters have come out. There were a number of USL Championship and USL League One players who were uh, called up to those rosters, including TFC2's Noble. Um, I always pronounce it Okello. Okello was called up for Canada, North Texas's uh, Baikou. Who uh, this is, this is-, is that how you say can- it? I think we should just have a segment called "Ira I, tries to pronounce I, I, yeah. and I and Dude, I'm here. I can't, pro- it. I can't pronounce <laughs> Ira sometimes, so uh, so no one take any offense, please. Uh Lansing's Nathan Lewis uh, was called up for Trinidad and Tobago. You know, so not a big surprise there. I think you know and, uh, Lewis has pa- played really well. For and them. there was a uh, certain someone who was called up to the preliminary roster for
0: Haiti, and they did not choose him for the final 23 man roster and that certain someone had a hat trick in 27 (laughs) minutes today so I wonder if uh he is a playing with a little chip on his shoulder and B if Hades having some uh, second thoughts and regrets about not keeping him around.
1: I wonder if someone's going to get a little like a little injury or hamstring just so <laughs> hold in because that is one of the reasons. So which one of these three, at least the three that we know are, are going to be on the rosters? Will do you, do you think will have the biggest impact for, for their team or actually see the field? Like I don't think Noble is going to see the field for yeah. Canada or I'd be very surprised if if, if he did. Um
0: so I actually think it's and it's funny because he, he's played the least probably out of these guys in USL League One, but I think Nathan Lewis is going to be the one who has the chance to be the most impactful. Um, and so you know, with the Soka Warriors right now, they don't have anyone to really score, they don't really have anyone producing offense defensively. They look good, the midfield looks good. But they haven't had a score. Kenwin Jones retired last year, two years ago. It seems like forever ago now. And they really haven't had anyone to step up and, and score. And so if you can get people like Keem Highland playing in the midfield and holding the ball off and Nathan Lewis and Levi Garcia can make those runs on the side, I think Nathan Lewis could be a spark offensively for Trinidad and Tobago and could be uh, something that he needs to for his playing, right? Maybe that's for Lansing. They go, okay, we need to start getting him involved more. Maybe this is the confidence that he needs to get on the field more.
1: Do you know who's in uh,
0: Trinidad and Tobago's group, Jason? Yep. It is the U.S., Guyana and Panama,
1: and right. I know so, this. I guess the question, the question for Trinidad and Tobago is, you know, how does Nathan Lewis stack up against the U.S.? Mm, you know, I, I find it hard yeah. to believe that he's going to do great against you know some of our center backs unless we put out a really second string team. Mean-
0: I, I I don't know. Watching this past weekend, it seems like I might be doing okay against the U.S. <laughs> defense. I'm just well, saying.
1: Well, I guess I guess the question that I'm really trying to ask is when you look at Nathan Lewis, how does he do end up doing against teams like Panama and uh you know Guyana? We we don't know, but presumably they'll be the weakest team in the group. But well, you know,
0: sleep on them, though, Guyana is probably the best that they've been in the past decade, so that's why this is easily my favorite group. Um, and I think Like you can't go into there thinking like oh the U.S. should like no I think this is a group to where the U.S. needs to be careful like this is a group that they can very well end up with three draws and just be kicking themselves for not taking advantage or
1: the U.S. drops 13 on Trinidad and in uh, just for spite Uh, wow is that is that what we're doing what why (laughs) did why didn't the U.S. go
0: to the World Cup because they dropped 13 on Trinidad is that what happened I I was I I
1: was I was kidding and uh, (laughs) I was trying to make fun of our men's team versus our, our Ladies who are yeah. playing in the World Cup in France.
0: Who are actually scoring in, in and playing fast. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: that, that was almost mean. Uh, notice I said almost. <laughs> uh, okay. So the Chattanooga Red Wolves did acquire uh, Daniel Navarro from El Paso Locomotive on a short-term loan with an option, actually. so I like that. If Navarro if Navarro plays well, he'll uh, he, he could potentially wind up joining the Red Wolves. You know, Jason, what do you think about this kind of, you know, this kind of activity? It's nice, in my opinion, it's nice to see, uh, you know, USL League One teams looking for talent and you know, kind of trialing them, basically.
0: Yep, and I, I, I'm hoping that this is the the first of many. Right, we were saying with Chattanooga, you know, we, they need something. Right, that midfield it just looks incomplete. There's, you know, there's no creativity. Uafe is easily their best player, but he can't be central defense and be offensive as well. So I think, you know, bringing Navarro in allows them to kind of move around the midfield and try things out. Uh, he, he's a defensive midfielder, but I think he's also can play center back. Um, and so, yeah, I think that these are the kind of short-term loans uh, you want to see, right? And especially with Navarro's not getting any playing time, you know, with uh, his current team uh, in the championship, this is exactly what you would want, you know, get players up for El Paso that aren't playing, get players for, you know, these independent teams and in championship that aren't playing and give them a try. And like you said, with the option at the end, that's perfect, right? Because then if you form a relationship with him and he's good for the team and there's chemistry and cohesiveness, then you keep him And now he's found a new community.
1: Might also be a way for championship teams to say, hey, we can, you know, the, this loan idea, even if the, there's not a purchase option, uh, but even if there's this idea that you can loan a, a player for a month or two just to get them some playing time before you wind up maybe needing them to make a run into the playoffs. I think yeah. that that makes a, a whole lot of sense. And, and I think specifically for Chattanooga, I agree with you. I think having Navarro maybe in the back as a number six, that allows Ualfe to maybe move forward more because he's had to stay back for them. A lot and I agree with you it's it's hard to get the ball up to Zayed and Beatty when yeah, you know when basically you don't have uh any anyone in the midfield willing to and and significantly able to um you know push the ball forward
0: yep and and Chattanooga again I think last time I checked was still worst or second worst in the league at winning the balls in the midfields they're just not winning those duels and if they are they're not going anywhere with it because they're winning it so far back pressures then on them and they have to back pass it to the keeper.
1: Okay. Well, let's go down to the results. We're in week 11, 11 28th to the season. Uh, Almost halfway there, Jason, a couple of weeks will be halfway there. We league one is not taking a break for, uh, for the gold cup. Uh, So there will be matches uh, every week for the next couple of weeks lots of soccer summer of soccer here okay the first the first match was on Friday night OCB scored two on forward Madison who got one very late Rafael Santos scored in the 23rd minute uh Tiago D'Souza scored in the 63rd and then Brian uh, Bement scored in the 89th um Madison did have a lot of chances they were really pushing at the end uh I have to say Santos's goal you know was from a press and you know it was a really interesting chip uh over the keeper to the back post I, I don't know Jason you're you're our resident goalie was the keeper out of position or was that just such a good trip? no
0: I think I think it was just a good shot uh I think even in position to you'd have to perfectly time it fully extend um I do think he was Maybe not out of position, but caught off guard, right? Because when you watch D'Souza steal the ball, he literally steals it and then Santos just one touches it into the goal as opposed to taking it and dribbling forward with which is what a lot of players would do and then try to cross it in. Um so yeah, it probably caught him off guard. But I do like props to Santos. That was just an amazing goal.
1: Yeah. It was it was certainly a great shot. It, it, you know, the other thing about this match that I found interesting was I'm not sure like if, if you were to, if you were to watch the match and didn't know the score and you just didn't see the goals and you say, hey, who deserves to win this match? I think maybe forward did. Um, you know, forward had it, it, you know, forward didn't have all the possession for sure, but they had five shots on target. They had a number of chances created. Forward had 13 shots, the OCB's eight. Um, you know, OCB had to make twenty-one clearances. I mean, twenty-one clearances in a game is not a little, right? Like forward, right. on the other hand, only had seven. So you, you know, you basically the ball was in dangerous positions quite a lot for forward. They just kind of couldn't score, right? Which is, has been one of their one of their problems. When Don Smart and you know Paulo Junior, they looked dangerous, but there just wasn't that clinical finishing that they've had in a few of their other games. They've been inconsistent in the front line. Yeah, and
0: and at times would be invisible, right? Like Don Smart, you know, he would come with a shot on goal. But then would be invisible for the next 20-30 minutes. Paulo Jr. was running end to end like a madman trying to make things happen. But you know, even though, yes, like Orlando 21 clearances, props their defense too, because they made a lot of good saves that prevented Ford from scoring, right? And so bad, you know, bad luck with Ford always hitting the goalposts. I think they've easily <laughs> hit the goalpost more than anyone. But when you watch D'Souza, he had like four steals that were consistently on forward attacks. Um, Bank, who did a great job pivoting, just had a trouble finishing because he would have people like Mendoza, who was just always in the way. Mendoza didn't do much, but was just always in the way and had a um, fantastic header when Banks had a bicycle kick that, you know, so he knocks that away. He was also in a way during a counter attack for forward. So Mendoza, you know, I think Orlando, they don't have the greatest defensive team, but they're doing a great job of setting their players where they need to be. Um, but I also think that you know Tiago de Souza just killed it that game. Yeah. I think he's the reason why they won. A goal, assist, four breakup plays. Like I was saying, all on uh, attack. It uh, was drawn. You know, he drew two yellows, which is important because forward when they did start getting momentum, it slows down the game. And then he was efficient offensively with 79% passing on the opponent's end. And he easily ran more than anybody that game, except for maybe Paulo Jr. Uh, so that's easily my player of the week. Shout out to uh, Tiago D'Souza, who I think now he scored tonight. This is his fourth game in a row where he scored a goal. Um,
1: it's, been, so, it's been a few. It's at least three. So yeah. So three I can't remember been, a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, he's, sure. been, he's been doing it. Yeah. The other thing about the defense is, uh, you know, shout out to Austin Amir. I mean, he, you know, you you mentioned the back line of OCB, but I think, um, I think the thing in, in this particular game, right, against forward was Austin Amir was kind of all over the place in, you know, breaking up plays. And even when he didn't actually get a steal uh, or an interception, he was able to guide players out of the runs that they were making and allowing the center backs or the outside backs the, the time to get the ball and to get into better positions and to make recovery runs when necessary uh, for, for the outside backs. So, um, But you before know, we-, we move on... Uh, can we talk
0: about the uh, Sousa's goal? Because that was literally some playground. Hey, you're the fastest person on the field right now. I'm going to. Sergio just said, I'm going to launch this ball. You're going to take whoever's on the side one on one, and he did. He just went one on one for a 60 yard race, ran down, uh, had a great in and out, and then cut, shot yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, it, it's just an incredible solo effort from Tiago, who was already running like a madman all game. But then to do that and then to consistently, you know, steal during big moments, like there's one in the 75th minute where he had a big steal. Um, yeah. He just, he just really was an exciting player to watch. And I think that uh, Orlando City should be taking notice right now and uh, maybe thinking about calling him up for a couple games to sub him.
1: Okay, so moving on, uh, we had Toronto Football Club 2 scored three goals on Lansing Ignite, hmm. and Weston Shelton, I'm sure, is putting his hand over his face right now and yeah. dropping his head and saying, oh. And it man. must be
0: nice to have a job that conveniently uh, saves you from appearing on the show after your team loses 3 <laughs> nothing." I wish I had a job like that. Wow.
1: So uh, the goals were in the 29th minute by uh, Hundal uh, from um, uh, Serbly, although Bunk Anderson had an MLS assist. Basically, Bunk Anderson, this was off a set piece. Bunk Anderson was up up front, another center back. Uh, He's up there. He crosses the ball from the right to the back post where uh, Serbly heads it across for Hundle just to tap in. I mean, it was, uh, you know, quite frankly, it was just poor defending on the back post that really caused that goal. I mean, there was nothing much that that anyone could have done about Hundle where given where the ball came in. And then the 80th minute, the next goal was in the 80th minute. Uh, Lansing had a bunch of chances, actually, in between there. Um, they easily could have tied it up. Um, but uh, TFC looked dangerous the whole game. But in the 80th minute, Bunk Anderson gets his third goal of the season. Is there any yes. other center back? that has three goals. I My guess is not because yeah. I mean considering that uh you know most of the people on the leaderboard for goals in the season only have four or five um with the exception of Pepe, they you know three goals is going to put him up there i'm sure uh and plus it's only in 10 matches i mean there's a lot of strikers who don't have three goals in 10 matches for sure right. and then jordan perusa just puts it away he came on as a substitute uh substitute late scores in the 90th minute uh tariq mohammed uh just put uh, perusa perusa through and uh shimmies the leave a defender and and you, you know what i love about this goal was if you watch perusa he fakes to the to the inside on on the, the on his right foot. Does a I couldn't quite tell if it was a sole roll or if he just kind of tapped it with the inside of his right foot to go left. And he broke the ankles of the defender. Defender is literally sitting on his butt uh, in the middle of the penalty area. Nothing he could do. And uh, and Perusa puts it home. Uh, you know, I think did, this game could have been six zero if Perusa started. I, I even tweeted. Yeah. I don't I don't know why he didn't.
0: Um, I think he's easily probably the second best clinical finisher behind Pepe.
1: anytime he gets the ball in the 18 you have a feeling if he has space it's going in and if and if it's not him he's getting laying it off to someone as we'll talk about a little bit later on today's game because uh you know my my lunch break was an extra 45 minutes sorry (laughs) because i had to watch the rest of the uh uh the north texas tfc2 game um but uh, you know lansing had lansing didn't do badly but they, they didn't have the ball in the final third enough right which was kind of strange because they're usually one of the pressing teams right they they're usually one of the teams that you know goes out and presses you know do you think in this game jason it was tfc doing a really good job passing around the press or was it just Lansing not being defensively sound today? Yeah.
0: So, and it's weird because when you look at Xavier Gomez, I think he won like 11 of his 14 duels in the midfield, which is crazy. So it wasn't like Lansing wasn't getting the ball. Uh, in good places. I think Toronto just pressed extremely well and put so much pressure on them that it was pressing Lansing and then making mistakes. And you can just tell Lansing wasn't able to get their passes together. So I think Nick Moon created the most chances with three, but that's when he's already in the final third and throwing in a cross or just taking the shot himself. Whereas I don't think there was any buildup. I don't think there was really any. Groove for Lansing to get into because Toronto, especially in the midfield and being physical, you look at uh, Tariq Muhammad. He might be one of the most physical players in the league. He just does not let you get into a uh, into any kind of a groove. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that Toronto allowed Lansing to get into any kind of a consistent passing spree. And I think that showed. And La- Lansing definitely had chances, right? So it's not like the, the eleven Toronto- shots,
1: eleven shots, three hundred target
0: yeah so they they had chances but i think toronto's attack was just Too much for them to deal with, right? Like it's just like attack after attack after attack, and then when your center back is all the way forward making plays for you, there's issues, right? You can't allow for a center back to be in there sending in crosses in the middle of the box scoring goal. It's just you can't allow that to
1: happen. So Lansing knew that they had some problems attacking, and at halftime uh, when it was one nil, they actually brought in a four who hadn't started. They took him off the uh, the bench. He came in at halftime, but even he wasn't great. I mean, he had, he completed nine of 12 passes, 12 passes and a half for someone in his position. He should have probably double that. Uh, He had no shots and he only helped create one chance. So he wasn't as effective. And, you know, I think that that just shows how well TFC was able to close down, uh, you know, Lansing's attack. And I agree with you their Their pressing was very, very solid and uh, you know, certainly much more solid than it was for the first 27 minutes of their match uh, on Wednesday (laughs) morning. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about in a minute.
0: Yeah. And I just, I I do think that um, I just with Lansing, I don't see the offensive game plan, right? Like if you're going to press and get, The ball, okay, but then what, right? Or do you have Xavier Gomez up there? And he keeps having to go back so much. He's not up there to be able to create anything offensively. And I think that's where – and you can watch – there is two offside calls for Lansing early and Nick Moon was just so frustrated because he's like, I just need the ball quicker. And I don't think that Lansing is equipped right now in the midfield to have that person who can get the ball, turn in one touch and send Nick Moon through because I do like what they're doing with Nick Moon. He is playing more in that forward. Position as opposed to being a wing back, I do think that he, you know, has no hesitation to shoot. He's a good scorer, but they have to give him that service, and I don't know right now who can do it because Xavier Gomez is playing way too far back.
1: Yeah, they'll have to figure that out, and it'll be interesting to see if they do this weekend because there's some important matches uh, that that uh, that are happening this weekend as well. Mm-hmm. So the next match, this one ended nil nil, but it was. I thought a reasonably entertaining nil-nil. Um, you know, so there were were a few matches this season that I can say were not entertaining nil-nils. I think this one was one of the the, the more uh, uh, interesting nil-nils. So this was FC Tucson nil versus Richmond Kickers nil. Richmond Kickers make the farthest trip they'll have to make all season out to FC Tucson. Um, the, I think one of the stories that we have to consider here is the two attacking subs were two of the people who had been very um, active for their clubs in Delgado for Tucson. He got 20 minutes Hughes for Richmond. He got 30 minutes, both people that we've talked about on this podcast many times, and neither of them had a lot of touches. I mean, they, they didn't even have, they didn't even have enough, uh, the amount of touches that they might have in 10 minutes had they started, you know, and neither looked dangerous. And, uh, you know they just didn't do their job basically as as subs. Otherwise, I mean this was a pretty even match. Possession was 50-50, passes were 425 to 448, uh shots were 9 to 11, both each team had two shots on target. They each had, you know, 20 tackles plus or minus a couple. And uh but there were uh, even all the fullbacks in this game just to show you how little attacking there was down the flanks. The all the four fullbacks that were in this match only had eight crosses attempted. Yeah. Only eight, you know, so on average yeah. it's two per two per uh, fullback. That's not a, a lot. And a part of that though is uh
0: it was definitely an open game. And what happened was Cox from Tucson and Maxi Rodriguez from Richmond both just consistently were stopping plays, right? So as soon as it would open up, they'd come in. Ah, uh, Maxi was all over. Had to use a a yellow card to stop a counter that was important,, because uh, that's what Tucson's bread and butter is, right? They want to play open. They want to play back and forth. Uh so Maxi did what he had to do, and I thought he had a great game. But let's talk about these goalkeepers because I think that's the the key and why this state's zero zero. Both, you know, had some spectacular saves. Ah, uh, Ejumadu continues to just be the fastest player off the line in this league. Um, and like I said, he might, make a mistake one out of the 10 times he does it, but I'll take that. Right. I I take a goalkeeper who's confident in his decision-making and doing it. Uh, probably had the save of the week, uh, after, you know, Joey G had a miss header, um, or, uh, on Joey G after there was a miss header in the back. And, you know, I think in the beginning, Tucson pressed early and Richmond just had no ideas what to do offensively. And that set the tone, right? You had, um, that's Camille. what keeps happening
1: to Richmond, right? When Richmond yep. tries to possess and tries to build up, um, if you know you press them, like some teams do very effectively, certainly, certainly, uh, Lansing did early on, but but Tucson did in this game. It's hard for them to seem to get their rhythm. Once they get that rhythm, they seem to be able to pass around the press. But if yep. they don't have that rhythm initially, it's hard. It seems hard for them to get into it. And
0: Jamil Cox stopped like four attacks within the first 20 minutes single-handedly, and he was doing that all game. So I think he was a big reason as why Richmond couldn't get a feel and get a groove for their attacking. Um, I thought Ben had a good chance in the 49th minute uh, a player that definitely deserves shine is Akwe. I think he played out of his mind, has some really important one-on-one interceptions and including that acrobatic game-saving header, you know, in the, the 90th line, yep. minute. Yeah. Um, so he played out of his mind, but it's scary to think what would have happened if he didn't, right? And then this game, Jamba hits the post in the 68th minute. Uh, you know, it. it and Richmond should feel good about saving those points. I know you, you never want to feel like, oh, well, we're playing at home for a 0 draw. We shouldn't feel good. But honestly, I thought Tucson could have won that game and should have won that game. I think, you know, both goalkeepers came up big. But Tucson, I think, just played their game, right? Richmond never got to play the style that they wanted.
1: You know Elliot, who's been on our show from River City '93. Uh, th- those guys. The question he asked was, was this for Richmond a point earned or two points lost? And and I think when you go away and you go to FC Tucson, who has a pretty decent home record overall, and you know they they've dropped the four spot at home as well off of on on a team just two weeks ago. Um, they they really. Uh, I think they have to say that this is a point earned, right? Yep. Your goal has to be, you know, save, serve at home. If you get a point on the road, every other game, you're you're probably going to make the playoffs. So, you know, so they have to really, I think Richmond has to be better at home. Um, and, you know, Tucson, they, they have to be, you know, a little bit more clinical. And I think basically, uh, basically, you know, basically put more, more shots on target. I mean, two shots on target, the whole game at home in front of your home fans, it's not great. I mean, right but, uh,
0: since the league doesn't want to acknowledge it, I will shout out to Luke Cosworth, you know, since we're talking about defenders and center backs doing it big three chances, created three tackles, five crosses, three key passes. And he was the most fouled player in the match. Uh, I thought he should have been team of the week. And I thought, uh, he created the, probably the best chances, um, for Tucson, including the one that went off the, uh, the off the line from Akwe with the acrobatic header. That was Luke who created that from the get go. Yeah. So shout out to Hawsworth.
1: And uh, Akwe did make the team of the week uh, uh, from, uh, from you probably US. took a spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could, could yeah. have been, although uh, TFC two had four players this week. I think this might be the first week that I've seen four players from one team. Um, but yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe that's because of the shortage of games, too. We only had three games. Uh, that's, true. That, that, that. That, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Moving on, uh, today at 11 a.m., which uh, one of those very strange times, up in Toronto at the BMO training facility, uh, Toronto FC2 took on North Texas SC in the MLS2 rivalry match um i don't know what we want to call this do we want to call this the i don't know it should be a, should have a derby name i think especially after a game like today where tfc2 scored three but only after a hat trick by north texas's own ronaldo ronaldo de Mara scores in the ninth minute the 26th minute and the 27th minute Uh, all three of those goals were, I don't know if they were great goals, quite frankly, they were kind of poachers goals in in some respects, but, um, but definitely, you know, big, big moment for Ronaldo. North Texas has the only two players to score hat-tricks in, uh, in us league one so far. Uh, but in the uh, late in the first half, Griffin Dorsey, uh, gets one back for TFC two off a very nice, uh, you know. Well, I wouldn't say it was nice, but Perusa was able to – he got an assist, but I think Perusa was not really trying to pass it. He was, I don't know what he was trying to do, just like tip the ball, I guess. Uh, but then Matthew Serbly, he got uh, a goal in the 73rd minute after running off of a, a great counter. Perusa laid the ball off for him to on a platter where he was one-on-one with the keeper and, and slotted it home. And then finally in the 92nd minute – Franco Mingo, after TFC2 was pressing and pressing and pressing, and quite frankly, the last 15 minutes of this game was all TFC2. Um, Endo crosses in the ball from the right-hand side, and uh, Franco Mingo finds himself all alone, right in, in between the uh, right above the the penalty spot and uh, hits it home into the bottom left-hand corner. Um, exciting match, very chippy at the end. The last 25 minutes or so were super chippy. Um, I hope we get a lot more of these games though. These, this was a very fun game to watch Jason. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: high scoring goals. I think game uh, in the league so far this year. And I think uh, there hasn't been another game that's had six goals. Uh, But I want to break down the goals uh, and the hat trick for Damas. First and foremost, how horrible is it for other teams to where the only other hat trick in the league was from Ricardo Pepe? You think you're getting a break because he's playing U.S. Open Cup tonight. And then you got to go ahead and deal with another player who then goes and puts a hat trick in less time than Pepe. So it's just it's wild that North Texas has so much talent on their team. Um, but I also want to give a shout-out to Sealy, you know, my Soka warrior boy. He made a lot of good runs today that just caused havoc in Toronto's back line, especially in the first half, and that was really hard for them to get organized because he kept sneaking through, and that's why Domus had those tap-in goals because Sealy was making that space. Um, and that's what you saw in the first goal, who Sealy kind of just leaves it off for Damas to finish. That second goal, though, beautiful touch. Uh, from Damas. And that's what set him up, right? He had that beautiful touch and then he might've been trying to cross it and it went in. We'll never know. Cause he won't uh, deny that he wasn't shooting for it. But uh, again, you know, I think that Damas setting up his own goal is important. And there's another one in the second half he did where he chested the ball and it went backwards over a defender and then he just outran three defenders. Um, so it's not like Damas is just sitting in front of the goal and tapping it in, right. Like he's setting this up and he's doing a great job doing it. Um, but that goal in the that that first half goal for Toronto was so important to go in and give them a some kind of a chance and hope. If you go into second half down three zero, I don't know if you can come back. But just having that allows them to kind of have that. And then there was also in the I think it's the beginning of the second half. Bunk Anderson, Domus uh, is on the break. He's one, he's down the line, got everyone beat and he's crossing it in the Sealy and bunk Anderson comes in with this sliding save. And if he doesn't, it's an easy goal for North Texas, and that is what saved Toronto FC today. That is a game of
1: that is a play of the game. And if he doesn't do it correctly, it's probably a red for denial I, of the goal scoring yeah. opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that was that was in around the forty eighth minute. I want to say yeah, it was very early.
0: Back to back weeks where he's been so important for the team, especially today since Dante Campbell's not playing. And it's funny because. Dante Campbell, low key outside of Tariq Muhammad might be just as important if not the most important player of the game. He might not get or on this team. He might not get as much shine, uh, you know, uh shine as Tariq cuz Tariq also does it offensively, but Dante Campbell, he was missed today severely and he he wasn't playing, I'm guessing um He needed rest. The Canadian soccer dude uh, was the one who suggested that. Uh, Shout out to him. But, yeah, they missed him today dearly. Um, And then they also missed Akello, too. I think in the first half, North Texas had too much space in the midfield, and that was allowing for Jada to have those long balls uh, on the dime and allowing those through balls. And if you haven't, go watch. In the second half, Jada puts a through ball uh, on the ground that rolls about 60 yards and splits – the Toronto's whole team, like not just the defense. I'm talking the midfield, the forwards, and the back line. Um, and so I think Okello was missed today, too. But like you were saying at the end, it was all Toronto, right? Like those final 15 minutes. All and Toronto. I yeah, and I even tweeted, I was like, Yeah, Toronto's gonna score within the next 10 minutes and make this game interesting because it was just attack after attack. And I think the testman sub that came later, that's when it should have happened because I think losing control of the midfield, and the reason why it happened is because when that attack happens, Jada has to go back and kind of play in that center back position, um, and he's not able to control from the midfield. In the first half, he got the control straight from the midfield, got to do the long balls, was collecting the balls. He couldn't do that in the second half, so I would have liked to see that Tessman sub go in uh, earlier to give them some physicality, especially when Endo came in and was just an offensive spark for Toronto, right? Like, he came in immediately immediately, and started creating
1: chances and having crosses. And I think he was a game changer today. I th- And I think for North Texas, their their issue was, had they gone into halftime 3-0 down, they might have made some more defensive changes to be able to, um, to maybe cope with the pressure that TFC was likely to put on them uh, because they would have had to score. But instead, I think North Texas thought, oh, we have to get one more. We'll have an opportunity. We were all over them in the first half. And it was almost, an, I don't want to say an overconfidence, but it seemed like they were Pretty confident that they could get another one, and they they didn't really change their game plan. While well, TFC made those good tactical decisions to you know control more of the ball, get the ball a little bit more to the to the outside, and 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 pressure, and, and basically not, especially when they were down three one, um, they didn't until they scored that second goal in the seventy third minute. It almost seemed to me like like they didn't care if they conceded another one, but they wanted to get that second one and put uh, start to put North Texas on their back foot. And it worked. I mean, quite frankly, yep. um, it, it really worked. And well. Endo
0: come, like I said, three chances, six crosses and 86% passing from Endo in 45 minutes is, was exactly what Toronto needed. And I think the difference today was North Texas didn't really have anybody they can bring off the bench to make that difference that they needed the way that Toronto did. Toronto's stacked at some of their positions, right? Like that midfield's amazing, whether it's Serbly, uh, Griffin Dorsey, who, by the way, involved in all three goals today. And when you're involved in all three goals, whether you're scoring them or setting them up, you're my player of the game. Simple as that. So shout out to Dorsey. But I think Toronto is a solid playoff team. I'm not like there's no, oh, well, if this happens. No, I think that right now I would put money on Toronto being in the playoffs. The only thing, especially when you look at their July schedule, they have five home games in a row from like July 12th to August 12th. Um, and so, they're not. I don't think they're they're losing at home anytime soon. Something about that place. I don't know if it's the kids they that come there. Yeah. If the they
1: take twelve <laughs> points. They take twelve points in those five games. It's hard to see how they don't. Uh, how they All don't right. get to playoffs. You know, North Texas was obviously missing Brendan Sivagna and Ricardo Pepe, right? So had had I think had Cervagna, uh been in the match, even if he had come off the bench like in in the sixtieth minute. My, you know, obviously this is a counterfactual, impossible to prove, but I suspect that he would have been kind of the spark defensively that North Texas needed in order to stop one, if not both of those goals toward the end, because he is, he has been, uh, you know, I, I always thought of him more as a number eight, but, you know, at watching him in the U-20 World Cup, I see how, you know, he can play as a number six very effectively and, uh, and has been, uh, has been recently. Uh, so today there was another match. I don't know. Did were you able to see any of the OCB versus FC Tucson match down in uh, down at uh, Mount Verde Academy in uh, Central Florida?
0: I've got to watch a little bit of it. I got to watch Kyle Venner destroying it on the field, um, but I didn't get to see the ending.
1: Well, maybe we'll we'll watch it and and discuss it a little bit more deeply next week. But uh, I can tell you right now that uh, that Tucson won that match two to one. Uh, OCB uh, scored. Um, uh scored late is that right uh so cox scored in the 44th minute ventner scored in the 45th and then uh, in the 59th minute uh demoras scored so yeah tucson was up 2-0 and uh, and then was an uh, ocb may tried to make a comeback i um, mean the uh, scored no uh uh de, de uh, moras um he not not a player that i know he came in in the 49th minute uh oh, okay. for for um, umbuyu um so, uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the match, so we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. We'll start with that match. Uh, so we'll put a pin in that for now. All right. All right. Previewing this weekend's matches. Four matches this weekend uh, on Saturday. All on Saturday. Richmond versus Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, Greenville is going to be hosting Lansing Ignite. Forward Madison hosting FC Tucson. So, and then Tormenta versus OCB. So we have all six of the independent teams in action this coming weekend, including matchups between uh, four of them. Jason, I'm not going to ask you which match you're going to watch because I know you're going to watch all of them. <laughs> And this is on Saturday, so I need a a life. I'll probably wind up watching all of these on uh, on Father's Day before the U.S. uh, uh, before the U.S. match against Chile in the Women's World Cup, which I promised my daughter I'd watch. Oh yeah. So I kind of like this Greenville Lansing matchup. I think this will again be their. I think this might be their final matchup of the of of the season. Am I right about that? It Uh, should be. I feel like they've
0: played each other two times already
1: yeah I, I do too i think i think they've had a home and home already so mm-hmm. greenville greenville hosting um our friend uh our friend chris will he be there in the front row again will i be pointing him out to my kids <laughs> and will he be happy you know so let let's you know maybe discount this uh, handicap some of these matches uh let's talk about greenville lansing first uh, i you know this should be an exciting matchup quite frankly in my my opinion
0: I see this matchup either being an open matchup that ends three two, or it's going to be zero zero, and I'm going to be mad uh, that that's the one I decide to watch live. Um, I, think,
1: I think that's happened before in this. Yes,
0: situation. it 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 never fails. But uh, I think it's about who's going to finish, right? You know, so Greenville defensively, you're not going to break them down. So Lansing, I think, has an advantage because they have guys that can counter, and I think that's what you probably need to try to do against Greenville. Um, but then at the same time, who's going to finish for Greenville, right? We are, you know, almost halfway through the season, and I, I don't know who is Greenville's go-to scorer, right? I don't even know, you know, if they if they have that or, you know, what their offensive plan is. It was originally the crossing balls, and that's not working. Um, so, yeah, I, like I said, either 0-0 or 2-2, 3-2, um, I just don't, I don't see Greenville scored five goals, right? We're literally like halfway through the season and Greenville scored if
1: five there's any team that needs a loan from a championship team and getting like the number two striker from a championship team. It's Greenville. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure. Uh, let's go back to Richmond, Chattanooga, Richmond's hosting Chattanooga. Um, you know, Richmond has been up and down at home, but they had a, you know, pretty decent match last week against, uh, FC Tucson. But you, you think this is a snoozer? Really?
0: Huh? Um, uh, uh, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's just maybe because it's the recent forms. um, I just. It's just that I don't know.
1: I'm not excited those could be, for those could be the most exciting games. I mean, Copac- it could be right in
0: yeah. this, this league would be in I, Richmond's home, right? So yeah. Richmond usually plays play a lot more exciting at home. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I do think
1: except, with the exception of that North Texas match, they have not been blown out at home. I mean, right. yeah, North Texas can blow anyone out any day. So I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to use that as a, uh, as a, as a data point for Richmond's form at home.
0: Yeah. And no, I think, I think Richmond wins this, um, and I think it's because they're, they, they've are they got too much talent in the midfield and too physical, and I think that, that they're going to be able to build up the ball the way they want to because of it. Uh, I don't trust Chattanooga's press, um, and I don't trust them being able to really win in the midfield. So I think this you're looking at this being a 2-0-2-1 game. You know, the,
1: th- the thing we didn't talk about with the Richmond-Tucson uh, match was that Lockerbie played right back instead of Brandon Troyer. It should, and- be, it should be there. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I like Brandon Troyer. I think that he's he's a good player defensively and has something to offer, but I just don't think it's as yeah. a, as a right back. Yeah. Nah,
0: I think Lockerbie solidified that spot, and uh, he just he's comfortable there. It offers more. He he's got the speed to get up and track back, and that's especially what Richmond needs is the tracking back because Maxi Rodriguez can't do it all by himself in the midfield. Um so yeah that I'd be shocked if I don't see him there for the rest of the
1: season. Yeah. Forward Madison uh hosts FC Tucson so Tucson on the road once again. Forward um you know didn't have the greatest match this past weekend although like I said I, I think they probably deserved a, a draw or, or a win just in the way that they played but they they didn't have a good time finishing. Um you know who do you like here? Do you think You know what? Pull it I out think with Paulo Junior and and uh maybe Don Smart scoring some. goals. I-
0: I think I'm gonna call this the first must-win game of the season. I think Ford, has, Ford to has to win this game. Uh I don't I feel like Tucson played tonight. Um they played on the road, right? So they're gonna have they travel to Orlando and then have to travel to Madison. Um I this is a must win for Ford. They have to get their their confidence up. They have to start scoring goals. I it's it's you know, and like I said, some of it's bad luck. Um, but I think Ford right now needs an identity. I think right now that's what they're lacking, right? Like what kind of offense do they have? They're Their last place in the league right now, uh, they've scored what, like four goals in their past four games or something like that. So they have to start finishing and they have to have a spark. Like shout out to that fan base sticking through it, rowdy at every game, traveling well. Uh, they deserve it, right? They deserve to get a good home win right now. And because there's such a log jam at that fourth playoff spot, a win puts them right back into contention. But the longer it takes for them to get a win and not a draw, they need a win. Uh they're gonna yeah. be sorry if they don't.
1: Yeah, you have to you have to save a safe serve at home, right? And finally, Tormenta versus OCB. OCB, one of the probably you know, good form recently until this week, uh, until today. But uh, generally speaking, a you know, very inconsistent team this year against one of the league's best, uh, okay. South Georgia tormenta, South Georgia tormenta at home, good atmosphere. They'll probably have, you know, 4,000 plus fans in the crowd, uh, you know, whooping and hollering for them. Um, I, I got to give this one a tormenta. I, I, I think, you know, OCB can drop a couple of goals, but I think, you know, this ends up being another high scoring game. I mean, maybe it's even like a four to two match or something. And we get another mm-hmm. goal game.
0: I a hundred percent agree with you. Last Friday, today, And then this weekend, Saturday, Orlando has to play. They are going to be exhausted. Meanwhile, Tormenta has just been kicking back, chilling, didn't have a game last week because of the weather in Chattanooga. Um, So I think they're fresh, they're relaxed. And because of that, I think that second half is when the floodgates open. Uh, That's when Charlie Dennis especially likes to be in that pivot and move up more and, Alex Morrell is just going to tie Orlando out in that first half running everywhere. And I think, I think you're right. I think this is going to end up being like a four two game.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So I, I didn't look uh, what was going on with Orlando and their open cup match, but I know both Orlando and FC Tucson uh, didn't have players going for them today because they got called up to their first teams. So um, I know there were a number of them. I didn't look closely at, at who they were and, and how many. So there could be some players maybe who sit on the bench in for OCB that don't don't actually play, uh, so it's not. So maybe they'll have a few players at least with fresh legs, um, but we'll uh, you know we'll we'll have to discount that a, a little bit more, and we'll discuss that a little bit more next week. So with that, let's uh, let's go on to some fan questions before we talk a little bit about team of the week. So we have two fan questions tonight. The first one is uh, from Dutyful Purple. Duty, no, excuse me, Dutyfully Purple. Uh, so they're fully purple and dutiful. Oh.
0: Do it. Yeah, sure.
1: So Both. Sure. Uh, overall, what is our thoughts on fan engagement? Jason, how about you start off with that?
0: One? Yeah. So like I was saying, uh, shout out first and foremost to Richmond and Ford, um, you know, fans consistently coming out big numbers, even if the team's not necessarily playing well, you know, at that time, um, staying with it loud on television. This is easily one of the my favorite leagues to watch on ESPN Plus because you can hear the fans going off the whole game. You can hear the drums. It's it just it reminds you of being at the game and actually feeling like you're a part of it. Um, and I think you know that's across the league too, right? Tucson they draw well, um, and I also like. That you know, you have the kids coming in for Toronto for for their eleven a.m. games or their after school games. They
1: were pretty. Um, They were only five. They were five hundred and twenty-five people apparently at that match today, and it sounded. They were all kids. Yeah, yeah. It it sounded like a lot more on them. It sounded. It sounded like
0: a Katy Perry concert. It was unbelievable how (laughs) loud those kids can get. I kind of only want kids to come to my job or wherever I'm at to cheer for me because a, it sounds like a lot of them. And it's just, it's a, it's a great confidence builder. They act like they really love that team. Like they were, I Toronto doesn't win today or Toronto doesn't tie today and have that three goal comeback. If it's not for the kids, I'll say it, I'll call it right now, (laughs) but I do, but I do think that the fan engagement is awesome. I do think that the team's, are engaging with the fans as well right and so shout out to like lansing for instance they're doing tickets to where they're they're doing discounted tickets and then half of the proceeds go to local businesses and that's what it's all about right and so you have a lot of the supporters group doing pride stuff this month and those proceeds are also going to local charities and it's just I love to see that. And so the fan engagement, the fact that they're working with the teams, and the fact that you know you can hear it and you can see it. It's not just something that you know, a team throws up and tries to sell merch for, that's what this league's all about. And I love seeing that.
1: So I have a friend who lives uh, outside of Detroit, not in Lansing, but but near there. and, and he actually asked me, he said, hey, what's this uh, what's this ignite thing going on? Like I keep on hearing about it from some friends of mine. And so I think that there is, you know, very good fan engagement, particularly with the independent sides. Um, You know, there's obviously Chattanooga still has this weird thing going on, but even they have, you know, decent decent turnstiles and and people coming to the matches. So it seems to me that, that the teams themselves are trying to really... Take local soccer to heart, and are, are able to get uh, people out there. I can say from from the media side, just from our side, the um, the teams have been very outgoing to us. The independent teams, in particular. I mean, I mean, look, you know, this was just so. <laughs> Nice of South Georgia Tormenta to give me a birthday present. Um, it was very unexpected and, and appreciated. Um, they, they've been great, you know. So, uh, you know, we've we've done, and, and Jason, you and I and, have done, you know, many many interviews with coaches and players, and they've always, uh, you know, they're trying to get out there, right? They're trying to build this league very organically, and and they're doing everything that they need to to do that. So, um, it's going to be a slow process, but hopefully, it uh, continues to uh, continues to grow, and and they'll keep that up. And Weston was talking
0: about it on Capital Combustion. He went to the Ford-Madison game. And so for that to be, you know, the rivalry, he said that he the, the treatment from the supporters groups for Ford, Flock, and LaBara, and all of them was just amazing. And it was welcoming. And it just helped the experience. And that's what you like to see, right? Because at the end of the game, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's a game we're supporting our teams, but it shouldn't be all this drama back and forth about, you know, whose team's better, you know, being mean to each other for no reason.
1: And I think that's going to be a big part of growing this league. So, so no flamingos hitting cars with uh, a spark plug. No,
0: no, not. uh, Yeah. Ooh, Ira, you might have a, a, a second job waiting for you. Lansing, hit him up. Aaron, give Ira a call. He's got some ideas.
1: I uh, No, I, this was your team. I'll, I'll talk to you about it after the show, but that was the <laughs> Philadelphia Union New York Red Bulls reference. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jackson Popkin asks uh, in our Yahoo chat, by the way, we usually go live on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock, so if you want to catch us on uh, on YouTube, please check out our Twitter feed, and you'll be able to find a link to watch us live and make fun of my scarves or glasses. Or whatever. Any glaring reason why Madison is in such poor form?
0: I'm gonna quote uh the great Chris Ashley. Uh, Ford is a team with no Fords. Uh, they they just can't finish the ball, right? I don't think they're necessarily doing anything wrong. I think defensively, you still got Connor Tobin with the most clearances in the league. He had an amazing um interception this past weekend. Uh, where it was easily going to be a goal one-on-one in the 51st minute if you want to go back and watch that. Um, so defensively, I think they're fine. I think, um, you know, Paulo and Nunez and Giro has been coming off the bench doing well. So I think the talent's there. I just don't think they have a finisher. Right. And like, like we were mentioning earlier for, re- they rely on someone different. It seems to finish every game, right? Like sometimes it's a Don smart game. Sometimes it's a Apollo game. And that works for a little bit but at the same time you do need to have a game plan right you do need to have like a oh I know I'm going to cross this because I know Mason Toye is there and he's great at heading the ball or I know I need to pull this back to the top of the box where Paulo can shoot it and if there's so many different players that are up top and so many different you know styles you don't get that and I think that's what's hurting Ford right now.
1: I wonder, do you think that Paulo Jr., maybe instead of playing on the left wing, should maybe play more as a striker? I, I think he could do it. I think he could be that number nine that that forward needs. But uh, I think to- he's so important to come
0: back to the midfield and get the ball. And he's so he, what he offers defensively is so good. You don't want to take him too far away from that action. I think that's maybe why.
1: Instead of playing the the 4, 3 kind of setup that they've been doing. Maybe they need to go to a classic four, four, two, right. And he can play as that number 10, you know, come <laughs> back when he needs to, or make the diagonal runs, which sometimes he does. And is so dangerous doing when he's able to get service and, and, uh, and those through balls. Cause he is quick and we know that he can finish. We've seen some spectacular finishes from him this. Season. Yep. So yeah, it, I agree. To be like, you get him more central, and maybe you're more dangerous. Yeah,
0: I think I think him and Nunez right now are kind of playing the same way, but I would like to see him more central. But then, what do you do with Nunez, right? Because I don't know how good Nunez is going to be on the wing, and I think that's where you know, they have that issue right now cool. of
1: who's creating or or someone else, right? You play and you you play that four four two, and yeah. you both of them central. And I would love to see off each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, but I also think JC Banks. He's at his best when he's that pivot in the middle too. So it's like it's 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 a it's a double edged sword. It's good to have these creative players in the middle, but then it's just where do you put them and who's
1: actually finishing those creative chances? Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, last question. For this one uh, again from our YouTube chat uh, from Lauren Mercer. What is something that you think Coach Bulo, who is the coach of the Richmond Kickers and has been interviewed on the show before, needs to change? Uh, so this is you know probably. You know, this is an interesting question because I feel like they have the pieces. Um, It's just they, you know, and they're trying to play a specific system and game style. And for a variety of reasons in some games, it just it's not working because they're either outpressed or they're not able to they don't get into that rhythm that I mentioned before. So, you know, when Richmond gets into their rhythm and they're able to you know, pass, 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 five passes, all of a sudden they're at the top of the 18 taking a shot or or hitting a ball inside to, to chin they look very dangerous. Um, other times they just don't get into that rhythm. And when they don't, they just seem, seem out of it. I, I wonder, is this just a time thing, Jason, or do you think that there is something specific that coach Bulo needs to consider in order? Yeah. To-
0: so I, I was going to actually bring that up. I, first and foremost, I'm not, gonna tell somebody how to do their job i don't want anyone to come to my job and smack the broom out of my hand so uh i'm sure, just gonna sure, say
1: sure, hold on a second jason we're podcasters <laughs> and we're talking heads and we know the game pretty well you know we we're not we, you know clearly we're not coaches but yeah you, know, you guys got guys like matt doyle and david goss who by the way called today's uh toronto north texas he did Shout and he and he somehow managed to squeeze in uh, Mod
0: Podge, which I'm sure he is secretly ecstatic about. Right,
1: but you know, Matt Doyle doesn't know any more than you or me. Yet he seems to have some respect within uh, Major League Soccer. So there's no reason why, yeah. why if I, if there is something that that you know you see, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to. I remind. I do wonder about the time. I think
0: so. I think his whole thing is he's saying. And he's seen glimpse of it too, right? I think it was against Greenville. They had a 40-second, 50-second spell to where they got trapped in their own corner, just did quick passes, and just passed through the Greenville press, right? And it was absolutely beautiful. It led to a shot uh, that was saved by Dallas J. But it was exactly what Bulow wants and exactly, I think, how he wants the team to play. But the issue is that has to be more consistent And we're almost halfway through the season. And yes, they're still in, you know, they're thankfully still contending for that last playoff spot. But like you said, at what point do you finally draw the line and go, you know what, this isn't working. We need to either start playing down the side, we need to start, you know, having quicker balls through the middle, or we need to play long balls and have Chin and Jackson bring them down. I don't know when that line is, but I wonder if Bulow has a, you know, by week 15, if this isn't working. We're switching it up.
1: Have have a plan B. Yeah, I think I think that's dangerous too because the first couple of games, whenever you switch something up, you end up uh, Mm -hmm. end up with a a lot of confusion. Sometimes you've
0: got to ride it till the wheels fall off. If if it works, you know it works, and if it doesn't, you know you you did what you wanted to do and it didn't work out, so you can't have any
1: regrets or shame in that. I think the other thing with Richmond is that when you have a couple of their attackers are on on that night. Um, they, they just look way more dangerous, right? Because mm-hmm. when you have, like, you know, M- or, um, uh or Chin, if they're on and they're doing their job, then you wind up with a much more coherent attack, and and you're able to get it out to the sides, and then have Guyardo and a couple and other people run off of them, right? Yeah. So it's when it, it's kind of those off the ball things that I think they need to be a little bit more consistent with, because when they're able to open up and make space for Joe Guyardo to get into, or um it, you know or or uh, when Hughes is on the field, for example, he can make those line breaking passes and get the ball to one of the to to one of the the wings, uh and and have either Chin or mopwe uh run onto Them, they are very dangerous. So I I just think they need to be more consistent about that. And consistency just takes time. So I, I disagree with you. Actually, I I don't think that they should change or could, or or, or uh, should change.
0: And that's why you're a coach and I'm not. You see, I, I my game plan would be to do the Serginho flick to De Souza and just do that with Lockerbie, right? Just send him yeah. as far you know up the field as possible and outrun well, everybody. Well, I do actually think
1: Lockerbie being out there instead of Brandon Troyer that will help them because that you know if you look at the last couple of games. Um, you know, all of the, all of the offense out of the fullbacks all came from Scotty Thompson and not really from Brandon Troyer. Right. So I think now that you have danger on both sides, teams will have to, they'll have to spread out and not say, okay, we can overload on uh, our right on Richmond's left, because we know that Scotty Thompson is going to come down there. And now, um, you know, now there's risk and and danger on both sides and they'll be able to combine and and probably overlap with, with the wingers. So Jason, any final thoughts?
0: Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, Alessane Dioff for Orlando uh, just because I think he did uh, exactly what he needed to do. He had like five interceptions, uh, four tackles, was breaking up everything that came his way and that allowed Orlando uh, to beat Ford. Like I said, Ford never was able to really get into the groove uh, because of people like him and D'Souza stopping all those attacks. So uh, I just want to give him a shout-out. He didn't make the team, team of the week, which is right. why I wanted to give him a shout out.
1: So that's your that that's someone who you think that was deserving. Anyone else deserving the of the week that didn't make it? Yeah, uh, I talked about him earlier, yeah, but I have a question. Do we do we need a bench for the team of the week? Like should maybe that. we should make our own bench. Like who's who's the, yeah. seven, the one goalie and the and the six field players who should have made yeah. the team
0: Weekend, one player I do like that made team of the week. Um, F-S- FC Tucson's new player Batista. I like first and foremost that man is nine foot 12. I don't know <laughs> if you've seen him, that is a gigantic individual. Uh, I don't know if it's because of everyone who's playing, happens to be 5'11, but he just looked twice as big as anyone else. But shout out to him, uh, making the team of the week because of his defensive, you know. Or game or whatever, I guess. He's making my team of the week, though, because that man is about that action. And as soon as he saw that there was some conflict going on in a late tackle, uh, I think it was from Joey G. I can't remember who the late tackle was from. He sprinted 70 yards downfield to get into it was from Eckenrode. That's who it was. Eckenrode subbed in and had a late tackle, and he sprinted 70 yards to get into Eckenrode's face and tell him, okay, we got a problem. Let's see how you <laughs> feel after the game. And that is somebody that Eckenrode kept it you know, very cool. He was like, oh, I'm not worried about you. I would have been peeing my pants if a man that big is sprinting full speed at me to be physical and get in my face. Nah, shout out to Batista for holding that team down, though. I love that.
1: There you go. Jason, where can everyone find you? Home Sweet Soccer. And you can find me at, at Ira Jersey on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for all of the great soccer podcasts and other written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and much, much more. Thank you to our sponsor, Golden Goal Press, the best choice to get your custom shirts, hats, Mugs and other items just for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the one that I'm wearing right now, which is the official scarf provider of USL, Major League Soccer, and US Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. Go US Women's National Team and have a great Gold Cup.
0: Jason, any last word? I think I peed myself a little bit thinking about patista running full speed at me. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, not not something I want.
1: All right, good night, everyone. Thanks very much for listening, and please hit us up on Twitter. We'd love for you to uh, to engage with us. We're uh, we're we're really try to be nice people. I mean, I, I do. I, does.
0: I, I don't. Well, yeah, Jason just spicy. Yeah, y'all deserve all the spice I give.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week.